Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to Episode 6 of 12 Broken Bridges, New Pathways to Restore Spiritual Vitality to Your Church. Yeah, bridge number six is corporate confusion. This is a big deal today. We have really over-organized Christianity. And so, yeah, organization can be a broken bridge. Now, God's pathway to restore spiritual vitality to heaven is Jesus. God's bridge to introduce Jesus to people is the local church, and therein lies the corporate confusion. We uh, have worked with thousands and thousands of pastors from all over the world in church doctor ministries, and particularly in countries in the West. If you ask pastors, what is the hardest part about your ministry? Guess what they say? All the meetings. It's death by meetings. It really is. And when pastors retire, you ask them, what are you going to miss the most? And they'll talk about preaching. What are you going to miss the least? All the meetings. <laughs> yeah, you probably heard the joke. It's an old joke about how many Christians does it take to change a light bulb at church? And the answer is, oh, about 30. After it gets through all the committees, though, it takes one janitor to change the light bulb. <laughs> it's just, everybody knows we have too many layers. And the challenge is that it's not biblical. We've worked with so many pastors and we love pastors, but one of their greatest frustrations is how to navigate the uh, permission-giving maze, which often becomes the permission-denying maze, actually the permission-denying nightmare. You know, when you think about Jesus and the disciples, they had a pretty simple organization, don't you think? I mean, they got a lot done, and they got a lot done fast. The early church was not too overorganized. It was pretty simple when you think about it. They had principles, they had beliefs, and those were the things that drove their behavior, but they didn't have a lot of organization. And the early church exploded across the Mediterranean world. Even within a few hundred years, millions of people became Christians. It was amazing. The early church expanded because they didn't have to go through many hurdles. However, then came the Roman Catholic Church, and then came the Eastern Orthodox Church, and then came the Protestant denominations, and then came corporations and politics and corporate mentality, and the rest is history. Now, you have to ask, or at least I have to ask, why is it so hard for the church today to make history, to impact people like they did in the early church? Well, it's not a simple answer. I get that. But one of the many reasons is our model of organization, and it's biblically indefensible. It is visually impractical. It is spiritually a nightmare. Sadly, you know, there are Christians, lots of Christians, and many leaders in the Christian church that are in love with the corporate model as a way to do church. And we have boards, and we have committees, and we have votes, and we have elections. And many denominations, <laughs> oh gosh, in their corporate denominational structure, they model the very worst of this. And I don't mean to be unkind. I know there's a lot of good comes of that. And I know that at one time, 
they had the best of intentions. These people didn't organize all this stuff just to screw up the church. I know that. These were good people. They meant well. They got sucked into the, I don't know, all the bureaucracy of the thing, and it just got out of hand. Think about it. Does a church have to operate like a corporation? I mean, really. Does it have to operate like a corporation? Think about this. Most growing churches around the world, even here, the growing churches don't operate in a political structure with layers and layers of bureaucracy. Do they have some challenges? Yeah, sure. About the same as all other churches. But they don't have the challenge of the bureaucracy and the maze of a nightmare. Now, technically, the church is a corpus. That's a Latin word for body. But that's not a corporation. That's a body. That's a living body. The body of Christ. That's the body of Christ. Christ at the head. It's a moving, dynamic body. It's not a static layered, permission-denying body, or even a permission-giving body. It is a mission body. It's a body in motion. It's a body in mission. Christ is the head. The Bible, not a constitution, is your guide. Boy, you never know it. I can't believe how many people that are in the corporate mentality of church life, that are leaders of a church, that are experts about the constitution. I mean, they know stuff about bylaws that who cares? But they don't know much about the Bible. Well, bylaws don't cut it in God's kingdom. In the kingdom of God, it's not about bylaws. It's about biblical truth, biblical direction. What do you think? The Bible isn't enough to get by? Is it somehow deficient? I know that in a political world where there is a government, it's required to have some kind of a constitution. But give me a break. It might be a legal entity in many countries, but from a legal standpoint, you could get by with one page or less. It just is out of control. It really is. Who in the world made it sacred to have elections? I mean, Jesus chose people. He discipled people in a leadership. Gosh, so many churches have boards, councils, board of directors. And the people who get elected are sometimes those willing to run. I actually heard the story once of an elder who was in charge of recruiting people for a board, and he had to call them. That was his job. He had to call them on the phone, get a hold of them, say, are you willing to put your name up for election? And the person on the other end of the phone said, well, I don't know if I'm really qualified to be on that board. To which the elder told me, he responded, check your pulse. If you have a pulse, you're qualified. I don't know what Jesus would say about that, but I don't think too much. Sometimes people who are on these boards are just the loudest people or the most articulate people at church gatherings, not counting pastors. Sometimes they're asked to serve because they're successful in business, which doesn't mean anything about the body of Christ. Often, the people that are asked to be involved as leaders are not experts in the one thing that really counts, and that's the Bible. Often, there are people that couldn't find Ephesians with two hands. But come on, it's the only manual we have. So what happens? Well, a church gets into a jam, or some people in the church get into an issue, and there's more heat in the room than light, okay? And so people are under pressure. There's stress in the conversation. There's toughness in the talk. So what is the default mechanism? 
people default to what they know, secular business, practices from the world. But I'm sorry, God's work is not a secular business. Honestly, if you've seen what we've seen in churches, oh my goodness, you would say, there's got to be a better way. And there is. It begins with asking a very important question. What is the bottom line for Jesus? Bottom line, you know, that's corporate talk. But what's the bottom line for Jesus? Well, one of the best ways to diagnose that is ask the question, what are you willing to die for? So ask Jesus, what are you willing to die for? Well, he was willing to die for the salvation of people, people like you and people like me. That was his primary mission. And it was a profound, great mission, great commission, using people. Take the good news to the world, including people that are believers at all levels who are called ambassadors of the king of the universe. Wow. Jesus is willing to risk the eternal life of other people on people called ambassadors who just love Jesus and read the Bible and care about other people? Really? Yeah, because the real power, the real political power, it's not political, it's the Holy Spirit. You can't believe what the Holy Spirit can accomplish through simple people and simple structures. You just can't believe it. Or can you? Or will you? Please. So how do you evaluate the corporation church? Well, ask yourself, how does the effectiveness line up with the Great Commission? How are you growing? How many disciples are you making? How are you out of room in worship? How are you got people that are sharing the gospel with other people? Where's the explosion that took place in the Mediterranean world? How is that going in your church these days with all your constitutional boards and committees and faulty raw? And then take a broader look. You may not be privy to this broader look, but you probably know something about it. We know a lot about it because we've been there all over this world where revivals are taking place. We train pastors there. So think about where the church is exploding today. Think about China, the underground church movement. What kind of a bureaucracy do you think they have? The answer is it ain't much. <laughs> it's relational. Look at South Korea. The largest churches in the history of Christendom are in Seoul, Korea. What is the movement? It's a small group, cell group movement. Look at Ethiopia, one of the hottest spots for Christianity in the world right now. It is literally out of control spread of Christianity. Oh, excuse me, under the control of the Holy Spirit, Christianity. Look in the southern two-thirds of Africa, in many places, people with no money, few facilities, lousy facilities, almost no bureaucracy, growing exponentially under terrible conditions in the economy, in the social government, in the political government, all kinds of corruption, tremendous growth of the church. How does all this church government size up next to the church that is growing in many places around the world? <laughs> I got to tell you, not very well. Not very well at all. You just shake your head and say, why do we do this? How did we get there? Now, of course, I clearly realize having spent a lifetime in working with churches. I know it's not that simple. I know, trust me, I know it's not just 
church government. <laughs> but it sure doesn't help. It really doesn't. I mean, tell me, beyond elders, people who are steeped in biblical wisdom, what does all that corporate stuff add except frustration? Are you that risk adverse that you can't trust the Holy Spirit, that you can't trust people that are full of the Holy Spirit, that are enthusiastic and don't want to wait for 10 months to get a job in the church, to, to work in their gifts and to be able to move the church forward? This becomes a critical issue in nations that fall away from Christianity. In other words, the church has lost in its mission. Because when nations become secular, and America is at the bottom of the toilet on this issue, when generations of people have not been in church, do not know the Bible, do not know what the Bible teaches, do not live a Christian life. When masses of people exist like that, the church cannot use the same methods that the church used back in the day, and for the United States, that would be about the 1950s, when it was popular to go to church and secularization wasn't part of every conversation of concern in the public forum. And so when things have changed dramatically, and it's not the thing to do to go to church for people that are second-generation non-Christians, the church of Jesus Christ must adapt. Now, that doesn't mean leave the Bible and biblical principles. In no way does it mean that. In no way can you do that. And if you do, you've just signed your death notice as a church. It eventually will die. You leave the scripture, you die. But in methodology, in delivery systems, the body of Christ must adapt by adapting strategy. However, bureaucracy, church governance, the way it's built into most churches, works against adaptive leadership. Maybe you've even heard the words, but we've always done it this way because we become so enamored, so cemented into bureaucracy that we have subconsciously made it divine. And it's not, not even close. And so we have built this corporate structure that literally hinders, greatly hinders, and blocks change. And complicated structure is the enemy of desperately needed appropriate change. So we made our bed and now we're trying to sleep in it. And what are we? I think it was Billy Graham who called the church the sleeping giant many, many years ago. Well, this giant is now almost comatose. And part of it, not all of it, but a lot of it, is the corporate structure. About 20 years ago, we recognized this as one of the major roadblocks to the health and vitality of churches. And it was no easy task, but we spent 13 years studying the scripture, the biblical implications of how do we make decisions? That's what church government's all about. How do we make decisions? How do Christians make decisions? What does the Bible say about making decisions? And we did a bunch of church research, and we did some field testing in churches. It took over a decade, 13 years, and we developed what was called a church governance consultation. And I'm not here to sell you on a church governance consultation. I don't care how you get there. Really, I don't. But you have to get there. But I got to tell you, it's just amazing. Every church that goes through this church governance consultation and revamps 
the way they make decisions. And the most common and most frequent things that people say, I'm going to quote you, we feel liberated. That's one thing they say. Another one is, we have so much more joy in our church. And one more common comment. Why did we do all that stuff before? Where did that come from? We don't miss it at all. We're glad it's gone. It's incredible. And every church that we've walked through that process has been liberated. Now, it's not the only thing that's going to make your church great for God. But man, without it, you're always going to be fighting up against a lid that's keeping you down. So whatever you do, it doesn't matter. Whatever you do, however you do it, take a hard look at Scripture, take a hard look at your church, and take a serious look at your effectiveness and the way you organize. Because the way you organize can be a great blessing or a tremendous curse. And you have to understand, it's not that obvious to people. It's a burden for some, and there's an occasional frustration for others. But the cumulative effect is very subtle and easy to miss, which, by the way, is the way the enemy usually works. Because if the enemy made it so obvious, you'd make the change immediately. And when and if you ever do make this change, you're going to celebrate and ask these same questions. Why in the world? How did this come about? Where did it come from? How did we get so corporately organized? And denominations? Well, denominations haven't always been part of the mix for Christianity. In the Protestant realm, it's only been 500 years that there have been denominations. Some are even younger than that. And there's nothing in the Bible about that. About as close as you get to the Bible, having any kind of a decision group would be the Apostolic Council, where these guys got together and they never had a vote. They talked about, well, what did Jesus teach? Okay, we got a new challenge. How would Jesus deal with this? What do we know what Jesus taught? And of course, now we've got more than them because we've got the New Testament. When the Apostolic Council met in the book of Acts, they just had the teaching of Jesus and those who were wise followers of Jesus. So what about this maze of corporate culture that denominations have? Are they really the best way to organize groups of churches? Well, if you look at revivals around the world, you'd have to say, maybe not. I'm not against denominations. I'm sure that having leaders who lead leaders can be a great idea. But the corporate levels of legalism and corporate waste and that model bleeding down and leaning on the local congregation, you need to pray about that. Honestly, you need to take a good look at it and just put it up against Scripture. Don't take my word for it. You go right against Scripture, because that's the final word. And that's my final word on this broken bridge. Corporate confusion. Oh, man, you wouldn't believe what a mess it is. I mean, you think it's tough in your church. Oh, my goodness. We see it over and over again. Well, our next episode, <laughs> we'll look at broken bridge of biblical illiteracy, which is part of this deal. This is all connected. All of these things are connected. All these bridges are connected. It's just amazing how they're connected. We're going to look at biblical literacy because this is really serious. And this is probably one of the foundational bridges that we need to look at. So until then, search your heart. And for heaven's sake, for the church's sake, search your Bible for God's pathway around your broken bridges. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. 
check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.